Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode number 36, and our guest gives me great pleasure to uh, uh, to introduce uh, former NHLer uh, Tyson Nash, who is now a broadcaster with the Arizona Coyotes. And uh, excuse me if I call them the Phoenix Coyotes because I'm kind of used to that. But let's bring Tyson in. Tyson, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. I guess the only thing I can say is uh, I can't believe it took you 36. Uh, episodes to finally get me on. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, you were the guy when I first decided this and pitched it to the Red Wings. Uh, you were like, I guess, number four on the list of people I wanted. So uh, it, it's taken me a while, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to, happy to help. I, uh, I don't know how I feel about uh, supporting the Red Wings, but, uh, man, I, I used to hate playing against them. I can, I can tell you that. So, uh, um, I'm just excited to be uh, on the road again, and uh, I know we played the Wings in, in a few days, so I can't wait to see that new arena. Right. We're doing uh, uh, this podcast on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, uh, before we get into the, the, the Coyotes, let's talk a little bit about your career, because... Uh, uh, yeah, I've had, you know, obviously I've known several hockey players over the years, but uh, you were one of those players, and it's the old cliche that the opposition fans love to hate, but sort of wish you were on their team. And you were a big pest to the Red Wings, and the out of all the teams, Detroit and St. Louis, for whatever it was, because they weren't known as being real teams that had a bunch of, you know, pardon the expression, goons on it, but when Detroit and St. Louis got together, funny things seemed to happen in the Department of Physicality, shall we say, and you were one of the instigators. Well, that was, you know, unfortunately my, my job, you know, when I made the NHL, it, uh, you know, I, I bumped around in the American Hockey League for a number of years, and, um, you know, I put up some decent numbers, and, you know, I guess the physicality was always a, a big part of my game, but uh, Joel Quinbo came to me with St. Louis and said, you know, you can, uh, you know, if you can be the most hated man in the NHL, you, you have a job here and you have a spot here. And that wasn't a, a big part of my personality. It's not who I was off the ice. But uh, as you know, you know, you'll do whatever you, you have to do to, to play in the NHL and, and stay in the NHL. So those games against Detroit, uh, you know, I grew up, my favorite player was Steve Eisenman. And, you know, imagine how hard that was for me to go out on the ice. And yes, believe it or not, I, I had a couple shifts, uh, you know, on the same ice surface as, as Steve Eiserman. But my job was to get him off his game. And, uh, you know, it was very difficult to do because of, you know, just who he was, how good he was. Nothing seemed to rattle him. But I would chop him. I would, you know, punch him in the face. I would try to rake his eyes out um, just to that, try and have an impact in the game. And this is a guy that I grew up idolizing. So it was... Uh, it was a tough job, and it was tough to wrap my head around just because of my personality off the ice, but uh, but you'll do whatever you have to do. Well, how difficult of a transition was it? Obviously, in Cam Loops, where you played your junior hockey in the Western League with the Blazers, uh, your, your last season there, you score 34 goals, you have 20, 30. I mean, you were you, know, you put up some points as a junior career, and, you know, and I've talked to especially the guys on the old Red Wings grind line. Everybody was a scorer. Everybody had some offensive skill, but yet, if you want to make it in the NHL, you'll do whatever it takes, as you said. How difficult of a transition was that for you to go against what your personality is, which is a you know kind of a fun-loving guy off the ice, to uh, to being this major pest in the NHL? 
Well, it was it was difficult. I mean, not at first, just because, as I mentioned, you'll do whatever it takes to stay in the NHL. You don't want to, you know, go back to that that bus and eating cold pizza and soggy subs and playing three games and three <laughs> nights in some pretty, you know, pretty pretty tough cities. I mean, they, they call the American Hockey like the jungle for for a reason. And uh, you know, you get used to riding those private planes and eating the shrimp cocktail on the plane. You, you want to stick around, and um, it was always my. My, my goal, my dream to play in the NHL and I would do whatever it, it took. And, um, you know, my big hope was that I would evolve as a hockey player. You start one way and, uh, and hopefully you finish your, your career with, uh, you know, more of how you played in junior, more of how you played in the American Hockey League, which was for me scoring goals and, and putting up some, some fairly respectable points. Um, but, you know, I, I guess the big thing for me is my, my, Rule never really evolved. I remember getting hurt in St. Louis when we went to the Western Conference Finals. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I was ever the same player. You know, I lost a, a little bit of a step. And, you know, then I was traded to, to Phoenix at the time. And uh, the team struggled. We were going through a rebuild mode. And it was uh, it was tough to, to find that offensive upside and, and, you know, production that I think at the time my coach, Wayne Gretzky, you know, wanted to see out of me. So... Um, but I, I had a, a great career. Uh, I had nine uh, nine years in the NHL, and uh, you know I, I'm very proud of uh, of being a part of the NHL. And uh, you know I can definitely hold my head high. But uh, you know I I had some good times. Yeah, well, you certainly did, and you provided a lot of entertainment on the ice. Uh, uh, you know, certainly Detroit's one of those cities uh, that that appreciates the. Uh, uh, the pest role, and uh, you know, you can go back to you know with the old Bruce Brothers with uh, Joey Koser and Bobby Probert, and uh, uh, you know Detroit has always uh, embraced your style of play, and you certainly are a player that uh, Red Wing fans uh, remember. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious when uh, when you uh, Google you on uh, on the old internet here, uh, the first thing that pops up is a YouTube video of you and Thomas Holmstrom fighting. Uh, do you remember that? Do you recall that? You were with the Blues, and it was kind of a scrum, and then you and Homer just wouldn't let each other alone, and then it, uh, it, it, it uh, uh, developed into uh, uh, fisticuffs. Uh, uh, what was it like playing against uh, Holmstrom, who in his own right was kind of a pest as well? Well, yeah, I think if you talk to any player around the NHL, you know, you play Detroit, and, I mean, they had McCarty, and they always, you know, he always kept you, kept you honest. Uh, I remember one of my first fights in the NHL was actually uh, Chris Chelios. Oh wow! Um, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I also fought. I mean, we had battles when you know with St. Louis played Detroit. We played you guys in the playoffs. I mean, that's a rivalry, and the only way you get a rivalry is is battling each other in the playoffs when it when it means the most. And um, you know, I when I came to the NHL, I jumped right into that rivalry. And as I mentioned, I fought Chelios. I, I had a real good scrap with Sean Avery. Um, and then, the, you know, the Holmstroms and the Maltbys and the Drapers, you, you used to chase those guys around every night because uh, they were hard to play against. They were always yapping, and, you know, they didn't drop the gloves very often. But, um, you know, there was, there was a number of guys. I remember Dallas Drake used to froth at the mouth because he, he wanted to get at Draper. And when he finally did, um, you know, it was, it was a good feeling. And uh, I'm sure when I got beat up, there was a, a lot of guys that beat me up we're getting text messages and phone calls from, from other guys around the league saying, thank you. Finally, someone, uh, you know, shut that shut that guy up or, or gave him his, his due. So, 
but Holmstrom was one of those guys. Uh, you know, I don't think that fight was anything, anything much. I would, <laughs> I think I would have loved to, to drag him out of that pile and, and have a real good go at him. But uh, but it was fun. It was all all part of it. And I mean, he did his job. What what a player he was. I mean, the job he did in front of the net, the goals that he scored, the amount of goals that he scored. I mean, it was something else. I know he didn't have the best skating ability, and uh, you know, but he made the most of of what he had. And man, he was all hard. Well, I, you know, when you mentioned Sean Avery, and obviously he broke in with the Wings, and you know, Sean has had, shall we say, a a colorful hockey life and afterlife in hockey. Uh, just released a new book, uh, uh, his autobiography. But I was going to say, I, I'm pretty sure when you were fighting Sean Avery, even the Red Wing players were rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I know he didn't uh, make many friends uh, in the NHL. He is a lot of character. Um, that, that's for sure. Sometimes good, and then sometimes uh, not so good. But uh, again, he was a guy that had to do whatever it took to, to stay in the league. And, uh, but he was also one of those guys like Steve Ott that uh, really evolved. Uh, Darcy Tucker's another guy right. came in as uh, you know, uh, just all heart would fight anybody, and eventually, you know, they're they're scoring twenty goals a, a year. And you know, I, I admire that they they evolved as players, and uh, I wish uh, I had. Uh, you know, done similar things in the NHL, I probably would have lasted longer. Well, you know, you always reminded me of Darcy Tucker. I don't know if it was same size or something like that, but not that I would confuse you as a player, but when I would think, uh, you know, Tyson Nash, I would think Darcy Tucker, I would think along uh, along those lines. Uh, this is kind of a tough question for me to ask you, but why don't you think you developed? Do you think it was just because you got hurt in St. Louis? Uh, you were concentrating so much on one aspect of your game, uh, the other aspect suffered? Yeah, I, I definitely think that. I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I was just so focused and, and so set in my ways, you know, to, to be the most hated guy in the NHL. And, and I was for, for probably uh, probably six years. And uh, and it's a tough way to play. It's, you know, you're getting punched in the face every night. And, um, you know, you're playing nine, ten minutes a night. And, you know, you don't get the, uh, the accolades or the rewards with hitting a score sheet every night. But... Uh, you know, your coaches appreciate it, and I know in St. Louis, we had one of the best power plays in the NHL, so when I would draw a penalty, I mean, we would we would typically score. You got Al McInnes, and you got Chris Bonner back there, you got Pierre Turgeon, or Doug Wade, or Keith Kachuk up front. I mean, it was almost automatic that we'd score with the, with the man advantage, so my job, uh, that's that was my job. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I didn't take the time to, to evolve. When I was in the American Hockey League, you're playing you know, 25, 30 minutes a night, right. and you, you're you touched with the puck, you're playing power play, you're, you're doing all those things. Well, when you're playing eight or nine minutes a night, you, you lose that, you lose your touch uh, around the net and, you know, a lot of different scoring situations. So, um, you know, I just kind of lost touch of, uh, of my game, and, uh, you know, I wish I would have, you know, worked in certain aspects of it uh, after practice, before practice. Uh, but I think that was the biggest thing. Even though you make the NHL, you still got to keep working and, and keep battling. Well, the one thing you, yeah, I guess you could hang your hat on is that you did leave an impression, though. I mean, fans remember you and remember you for the player you were. So, obviously, you were doing something right. Yeah, I'm proud of the player I was. And as I mentioned, the career that I had, um, if there was one regret, and it's, and it's, you know, it's probably that. It's probably that. You know, you have to continue to work on your skill and, and, and get better every day. And, and I don't think I got better. I think I was content with the role that I had in the fourth line. 
and uh, unfortunately, you know, it, it comes to an end. And when you play on a bad team, and we were we were fairly bad at the time in, in Phoenix, you know, you uh, people lose sight of you. They lose touch touch of, of you, and, and scouts don't come to watch as much out, uh, out in that market at the time. So you kind of get lost in the shuffle, and that's kind of what happened. Well, um, I, 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 looking at, uh, at your career, I know after you left the Coyotes, you played with San Antonio and then the Toronto Marlies. And, uh, but I, you only spent five games there, but you played for the Nippon Paper Cranes. It, what was it like playing in Japan? Yeah, and you know what's funny is when I went down to the American Hockey League, I, I was starting to have a, a ton of fun again um, just because I was playing and I was scoring goals again and I mean, it was fun to get that touch back and know that you could still, you know, play at that level. Um, but again, you start getting old, and at the time, I think it was 31 or 32, and, you know, now that's that's ancient. Now you're a fossil at 32. It's a, it's a young man's game now. And, uh, you know, I went uh, just to get some hockey, get some games in. I was still hoping to get back to the NHL at that time when I went uh, over to Japan. Um you know, I, but I had a ton of fun. Didn't work out. I didn't ever get back to the NHL, but I had a lot of fun with uh, Jamie McLennan, who uh, was one of my teammates, who, who ended up helping bring me over to Japan and, and play. And I had so much fun. They treated us like gold. I got to take in their, their amazing culture and, and learn, uh, learn, you know, a lot. I've, I've never been over to, to uh, overseas, and I'll tell you what, it was an experience of a lifetime. Do you have any paper cranes paraphernalia, like T-shirts or anything? Because that's a very interesting name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, it's actually, uh, believe it or not, it's an American company. It's a paper company in, uh, in Seattle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, uh, they have a big factory in, uh, in Tokyo and uh, uh, Kashiro, which is where we, uh, where we played. But I got lots of jerseys. I mean, anything we wanted. They, uh, they treated us like, like kings. And it was like a it was like a paid vacation. I mean, we hardly played. I think I played thirty two games that year for them, and uh, my family got to come down there. Um, the only you know sad part was that I had to leave my my wife and kids for uh, five or six months. That was that was always difficult, and I think a lot of times that's what people don't understand the sacrifices that you have to make sometimes uh, for your family. Even when I got traded from San Antonio or uh, from Phoenix to Toronto. My family didn't come with me. It was uh, probably the, the toughest six months of uh, my life and, and my wife's life. Well, that, uh, yeah, the sacrifices that players have to make, and that sometimes I think fans maybe overlook that you're, you know, you're human beings, <laughs> and you have lives off off the ice, and that uh, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, your, your personal life gets affected greatly by what you choose to do uh, as a hockey player. Yeah, and you know you, that's where you got to be really mentally mentally tough. And you know, for me, it was so hard going from the NHL, and all of a sudden, like I mentioned, you're back in the American Hockey League. You're you're riding the bus again in in San Antonio and Toronto, and you know you, you thought that days of your life was was over, and all of a sudden you're back, and you're like, oh, what just happened? I, like, how did I how did I get here? And how do I get you know, back to the NHL, and so it was a grind, and then you face retirement, and that was the hardest thing I ever had to face, uh, you know, was, was going from a hockey player, uh, living and breathing it, and, you know, I was always Tyson Nash, the hockey player, and all of a sudden you retire, and you're just Tyson Nash, and you lose your identity, and that was very difficult for, for me to overcome, you know, you spend some time, and I remember I was really depressed, I had a hard time getting out of the house some days, and, um, you know, it, it's difficult, and I don't think people really understand because they don't feel sorry for you because you 
lived your dream, you played in the NHL, you made lots of money. I mean, why would you feel sorry for us? But that's just the facts, and, and that's what happens to a lot of hockey players, is that they go through a real tough transition into the real world when they're when they're done playing no matter you know who you are it's it's always difficult what what pulled you out what what uh, finally uh for lack of a better term got you out of the house what uh, did you just uh you know look in the mirror and have that hard conversation with you like hey you're not a hockey player anymore now you got to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life well the coyotes got me out i, I mean they uh you know when i retired uh, they uh, they were calling me and and they wanted me to do start doing the radio, and there was an opportunity there, and I, I can't thank them enough for that opportunity because, you know, you, you got to battle through. And the other thing was, is I never made enough money to retire, so you know, you got got to work. And now all of a sudden you're 32, and you got to find another career. And I've been so fortunate that I've been able to turn, you know, my hockey career now into a, a radio and now a TV job, and I feel like I got the best job in, in hockey. And, uh, and doing a TV for uh, for the Arizona Coyotes on Fox Sports, and uh, you know, I just have that jump back in my step, and, uh, and I'm involved, and I'm around the guys, and I'm around the game, which is the most important thing. And I don't get beat up anymore, so <laughs> I feel feel very very fortunate to uh, to have a job and uh, a job in hockey. Well, and you do uh, you do an excellent job. I've I've subscribed to the Center Ice Package for years, and uh, I watch everything. And you know, obviously, with uh, a lot of times uh, after the Red Wings are done, and I can catch a, a late game. So, and most a lot of times, it's the Coyotes. And uh, 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 was it? In, did you think that you would do so well? I know that's a you know, that's probably not the right way to phrase it, but uh, you seem to have made a seamless transition. If that's it, because you're very very good, you know you're funny, you know the game, everything seems to be going well for you. Uh, um, so I, I would imagine that once you got your feet wet in broadcasting, uh, did you realize that you'd be such a natural? No, I, I didn't. In fact, uh, the first year, I mean, I, I was sitting there going, I, I don't know if this is for me. I, I don't know if I can I can do this. I, I'm embarrassing myself. And, uh, you know, it, it was difficult. Everyone laughs because, you know, when you're playing, they're like, ah, oh, it can't be that hard. You're talking about hockey and, you know, so what if you're on TV? I mean, but I'll tell you what, those lights come on and all of a sudden you, you recognize that so many people are, are watching you and, um, you know, you, you freeze up, you clam up sometimes, and it was just like hockey. Some nights it rolls off your tongue, and the, the next night you, you, your tongue feels like it's it's swelled up, and you, you got nothing uh, nothing to say. So it's been a real adjustment. But like hockey and like my career, I've always had to work, and, and this is no different. You got to work at it in order to get better. And uh, I put the time in, I put the work in. I've worked with some incredible people, uh, starting with. Uh, Bob Heathouse was my radio, uh, my first radio partner, and then Dave Strader, who was my first right. uh, TV uh, TV partner. So I owe them all the credit in the world. They babysat me, they helped me, they pushed me, and uh, and now I'm. Uh, I think this is year nine or ten. So I'm I'm living the dream, if you ask me. Right. When you mentioned Dave Strader, obviously he got his start at the Adirondack Red Wings, and then. Uh with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, just a terrific guy, really good friend of mine, and uh, certainly he was probably one of the more accommodating people you're ever going to meet in this business, because there's a competition in this business on and off the ice if you're in hockey, and uh, Dave was certainly a tremendous person. No, the best, the absolute best, and you know, he not only was he, you know, world class and one of the, the best uh, to ever broadcast hockey games, his voice, his personality, how he 
how he told stories. Um, that's what really stands out to me was, you know, going uh, on the road and, and hanging out together, going for a dinner and a glass of wine and the stories that he would tell and how he'd tell them. He just had that, that ability to, you know, to, to tell a great story. And that, that's a talent and that's a, that's a gift. And I was so fortunate to, to spend the time that I did with, with Dave. And uh, it just, it still doesn't seem real that he's not with us today. And uh, it, it, it's heartbreaking, but I was very fortunate to, uh, to have, a, have a friend like him. Yeah, certainly a great, uh, a great guy who would uh, show you the ropes, so to speak. Dave Strader, certainly, as I said, you know, very good friend of mine. I've known him for so long, and you're absolutely right. It is, uh, you, know, you, you know, that's one of those things that you can't believe it, and you try not to figure it out because it just gets you pretty depressed. So you, you just have good memories and, and try to move on. It's, uh, it is a difficult situation. I think for everybody who, you know, Dave Strader ever touched, I think you're absolutely right. He was just such a, a, a wonderful man. And uh, uh, Tyson, on that, you know, on that note, now we have to, I, I want to switch it and I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you were with the Coyotes since 2003-04 is when your, your first season with them. Um, they were the Phoenix Coyotes, now they're the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, any hockey fan knows every time they uh, uh, hear news about Phoenix is, are they going to stay? Where are they going to play? Where's the arena? What kind of... And and they're always there, I guess. You know, I, I always hear, yeah, Phoenix is in trouble. Yeah, well, somehow they're going to work it out because they always seem to do. But what type of grind is that on a player when you have a franchise that seems to be unstable, but also seems to just kind of be able to, you know, go flow with it? Yeah, it's it's really really frustrating, and it's. Uh... It's tough to tough to deal with. Uh, I know it's tough on us broadcasters, you know, wondering year to year where we're going to be, what we're going to do, uh, who's going to own us, you know, the bankruptcy issues that uh, that this team went through, um, you know. So you're you're always wondering and waiting for, uh, you know, the other shoe to drop. And I, I think things have really solidified, and uh, with our new ownership, uh, with our single ownership group, but now with one owner and one voice and. And, and one plan uh, for the future, and that's uh, Andrew Barraway. And um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that that he's really stepped up and uh, taken taken charge of this team. And he's hired the right people to to make sure that that this team does stay in Arizona and they do find a, a new arena. And, and that's the goal right now is finding a new arena, um, getting the shovels in the ground, and uh, and moving forward so you can actually go out and and get players long-term and sign current players long-term because the players ultimately, they want to know that that they're going to have security, that they're not going to sign here and and possibly move in in a year or two. So um, Gary Bettman recognizes, and I think that's the the biggest thing. I don't know if I know a smarter man in this world than Gary Bettman. And, um, you know, looking at how he's grown the game and the, the money that, he makes for the, for the owners and the players now have never made more money. So you, you trust him that he knows what he's doing uh, because this team, he doesn't seem to want to let it leave Arizona because he, it's one of the fifth biggest and one of the biggest TV markets. So he knows it'll work. It's just you have to find a new arena for this team to play in. Well, it, it seems that there's a real hardcore fan base. And, you know, f- f- hockey's been played in Phoenix for a long, long time. So it, 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 I guess I'm one of these people, and maybe I'm an eternal optimist, but it should work in Phoenix, shouldn't it? Oh, well, without a doubt. It's just uh, you got to be in the right place. I mean, even in, in Detroit, if, if you guys were 
Uh, I don't know what an example would be, but if you guys were 35 minutes out of Detroit, I mean, moving your fan base and expecting all your fans to go out to that new location, it just it wouldn't happen. And, and that's Detroit or, or Canada for, for that reason, any city in Canada. I mean, you have to generate an entire new fan base, and that's what's happened in Arizona. And that was a, a massive mistake was to move the team out to Glendale. Because that's not where our fan base was. Our fan base was was out east, and it's just too far for them to come on a nightly basis. And you put it to the in the right location, closer to back uh, where it was uh, initially, and those fans come back. And with this young team that the Coyotes have, I mean, I know it's been a real tough start to to the season, but this is a talented, talented team, a young group that's still in a rebuild mode. That's uh, going to. Um, be together and, and be very entertaining for a lot of years. Well, let's uh, look at the uh, Coyotes. You're in the midst of a five-game road trip in seven days. Uh, I, I assume that you're in, uh, I guess, Philadelphia right now because you play the Flyers Monday night and then you come right to Detroit and play the Red Wings on Halloween. Uh, uh, certainly, as you said, the... the uh, uh, the Coyotes in 11 games are, are 0 10 and 1. They have not won a game yet. Yet, this was a team based on the offseason moves that the Coyotes had made that uh, people were thinking, <clears throat> pardon me, really did improve themselves. Uh, and, and, you know, it appeared that maybe you caught a break because you played the Vegas Golden Knights a couple of times to start the season, yet they're the surprise in all of hockey right now as an expansion team being 8-1. and one. Uh, uh, Is it just uh, bad luck, uh, injuries? I know Chickering got hurt. Uh, how would you sort of characterize what has happened to the Coyotes 11 games into the season? Uh, well, if... You know, anyone's taking the time to, to watch a, watch a game, and, and they should, because this is one of the most entertaining teams in hockey. For, forget our record. Our, our record does not does not tell the story. Um, that is uh, for sure. Uh, but if you look at what has transpired, it's all goaltending. And we just sent Louis Domingue down today, um, or put him on waivers at least. Uh, Ronta was brought in to, to be a number one guy here. We got rid of Mike Smith, the Calgary Flames. And Ronta gets hurt. Well, all of a sudden we're starting the year out with uh, with no number one. And you know, you you go into Anaheim, you're up four to one in that game, and any number one goaltender is going to make those saves to not allow a three goal lead slip away. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And, and that's what's happened. Late goals in games, critical moments. Number one goaltenders make those saves, and unfortunately for Louis Domingue and the youngster Aiden Hill. They were thrown into the fire and thrown into a situation they're just not prepared for or, or capable of at this at this time. And that's what's really uh, put this team uh, behind, and, and they have a massive mountain to climb uh, moving forward. But don't be fooled. This team is very talented, and uh, they're fun to watch. Well, you acquired a goalie yesterday from New Jersey in Scott uh, Wedgwood. I, I would imagine that uh, he must be on the active roster now, that he's not going to be sent down and that he's going to get a shot with the Coyotes. Yeah, I mean, he's he's our new backup. Uh, they're still waiting for uh, Auntie Ranta to, to get, get healthy, um, whether he plays uh, tomorrow night in Philadelphia. Um, everyone's kind of waiting in the wings to hope that that happens. But uh, Louis Domingue just wasn't getting it done. And uh, he never got it done last year, and, and now, uh, unfortunately, he's on, he's on waivers. And um, 
I guess he's, he's hoping to get picked up and get another opportunity somewhere else. But, uh, you know, Wedgwood is our guy now, uh, I would imagine, moving forward. And he's going to get an opportunity, and he's been hungry to get an opportunity. So I love hungry players. I love uh, desperate players, and, and Wedgwood's <laughs> that guy. When uh, you look at the stats here, one player that <clears throat> really stands out is Clayton Keller. 12 points already, 8 goals, 4 assists. Uh, fans of Team USA are really familiar with him, too. This is uh, uh, an extraordinary player, one who probably gets overshadowed with the McDavid's and Matthews of the world, but uh, this young man can play. Well, and he gets overlooked just because it's his first year. He's a rookie. He's 19 years, years old. And, um, you know, everyone talked to me about this kid, and I did my homework, and everyone talks about him being like, Patrick Kane, and I'm like, okay, is it, that's not fair. I mean, don't let's not put that, uh, you know, on him. Let's not put that pressure on him. I mean, Patrick Kane is Patrick Kane. He's won Stanley Cups. He's won scoring titles. Uh, he's one of the most exciting players in the entire National Hockey League. Well, I watched this kid, Clayton Keller, for 11 games, and he is identical to Patrick Kane. It is, it is so scary to watch. We put videos together of Patrick Kane. We put matching videos of Clayton Keller, of the goals he scored this year, and the plays that, that he makes uh, consistently, and that big moments of, of hockey games. He's been the, the one real bright spot for the Coyotes this year. Uh, I think he's got, uh, I don't know, eight points or something in the last uh, five, five games. And he's got eight goals. I mean, he, there's only Alex Ovechkin, Kucherov, and Austin Matthews that have more goals than Clayton Keller. I mean, so uh, he, and that's how good this kid is, and that's how exciting he is. So uh, I, I can't wait for uh, tomorrow night and Detroit on Halloween to watch this kid again. Every time he steps on the ice, he does something special. Uh, you know, it's interesting you would bring up Patrick Kane because I know through the uh, uh, the U.S. Development Program, which is based first in Ann Arbor, now in Plymouth, Michigan, uh, several people that know him, that Clayton Keller didn't shy away at all from comparisons to Patrick Kane. As a matter of fact, he would tell people that he's the next Patrick Kane. I think you've got to like that bravado in a young player. Oh, I, I mean, my God, I, how do you not? I mean, it, <laughs> I, I know the Coyotes, when they were interviewing him, uh, they asked them. They go, "Why do you think we should we should draft you? Why do you think we should take a, take a chance on you?" And he said, "Well, do you, do you like Patrick Kane? What, you know, what do you think of Patrick Kane? Like, who says that? Like, are you kidding me? That, that's unbelievable. And it's not cocky. It's it's pure confidence right. in his, in his own ability, and for for good reason. The kid is a is a stud. He he does it all. Um, another player that has some local ties. Uh, his father." Uh uh, we all know is uh, uh, Ty Domi is is Max Domi, and he is uh, you know an amazing story with the type one diabetes and what he has to go through, uh, and, and, and had a little bit of injury. But he, in his own right, is an extremely talented player. He really is. He is. Uh, you know, the season that he had last year was 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 great, and and again this year he's really taken another step forward, which is what you hope uh, for young young players. And he he works. He battles. He uh, he hasn't scored at a rate that uh, that he would like, but he gets the scoring chances. He gets three or four real high end quality scoring chances every single night because of skill, because of his hands, and be, more importantly, because of how hard he works. And uh, and he flies. And he's a tough guy to play against because he's so fast. He's so tenacious on the puck. And uh, as we all saw last year, 
Um, and I think uh, Kessler can uh, attest to it. He, he can fight, too, just like his old man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, a couple sort of local boys. Uh, Kessler, obviously, being from the Detroit area. player that I've always been intrigued with is uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, you know, many. I, I think he's a supremely talented. Uh, your your view on him? Do you think that he will emerge as one of the elite defensemen in this league? Well, he he certainly has in my mind. Uh, I think he's been in the league now seven years, and uh, I'll tell you what: how he hasn't been up for a Norris Trophy yet is is beyond me. Um, you know, he's struggling this year. I'll I'll say that he is having a a real rough start to the year. Um, you know, and last year as well, his his mom, which we had no idea because he didn't talk about it, he didn't tell me about it. But his mom was uh, was fighting uh, cancer, I believe, mm. and she ended up passing away. Uh, um, you know, just before the season ended, and uh, that was a, a real reason why I think he struggled last year. Well, he hasn't seemed to get out of that funk this year, but this kid's world class, and I think we saw that with his back to back twenty goal seasons, uh, the amount of game winning goals that that he scored and. In his career, he's a big game player. Uh, the way he skates, um, how he can shut down the other team's top players, uh, and still go out there and produce regularly and consistent consistently. So, uh, I think once he gets out of this funk, gets his confidence back, I think that's the big thing. Um, you know, he's he's going to be the leader of this team. Right. There's no question. I mean, I've been a big fan of his, and you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's something about Swedish defensemen or something, but. Uh... Uh, we, we 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 had the best of all time, obviously here in Detroit, and uh, uh, yeah, there's there there's just something special about about them. Look at what Carlson's doing in this league. I mean, uh, for whatever reason, uh, a very small country like Sweden seems to have uh, seems to have it down when it comes to hockey. No, they certainly do, and I uh, <laughs> I know you guys have been pretty spoiled there in Detroit, but. Uh, you know, it's something about how they develop their their youth and their young kids. And I, I think actually USA Hockey and uh, and Canada as well. I think they're trying to take a page out of, out of Sweden's book and and how they develop all these these players that continue to, to come out of, of Sweden. It's the skill part of it. It's how they skate and and what they're teaching. So why wouldn't you try to you know emulate what's what's gone on in Sweden and continues to go on. Uh, another player that I really wanted to ask you about that I really like is Anthony Declare. I, I, I think that he has all the talent in the world. Uh, just growing pains for him? I love him. I uh, love him. He's, uh, he's back to playing the way that he knows how. Uh, he had a real tough year last year. I think everybody knows. Um, you know, he was down in the American Hockey League, and even then he struggled when he was down there. He couldn't get out of that funk. Uh, but he's uh, he's been good this year. He, I think he scored uh, three goals now this year in the first 11 games. He's got that confidence back. He's got that swagger that I think all players uh, all players need, no, no matter who you are. Fourth line, first line, you you got to have some swagger, and he's got it back. Yeah, well, that yeah, I, I, I wish the best. You know, really, uh, I'll tell you, in a strange sense, I think that... Uh, uh, maybe I'm a, a closet uh, a Coyotes fan because you're right. Watching them, they seem to be a real fun team to watch. They play a really you know, uh, offensive style. They have a lot of weapons, and uh, it's uh, it, it is it's entertaining. It, it's entertaining, and you know you got to hope that uh, everything that this franchise has gone through that they settle down and that you know the people of Arizona and Phoenix uh, deserve a, a a real good team. Another player is Jacob Chickering, the Red Wings fans are are familiar with 
Uh, he came in last year, made the made the Coyotes at 18. Uh, seems that he's going to be in the league for a long time. He's injured right now. Uh, your impressions of Chikorin? Oh, he's a, an unreal talent. And today's NHL, it's all about speed and skill. Well, he's got a ton of it. And, I mean, he's, he's like Dolph Lundgren. From uh, from the Rocky movies, uh, he looks like him. Uh, you know, he's an absolute specimen. He's a man child, and uh, he's only 19 years of age. Um, so you know, he's only going to continue to get better. Real tough injury that that he's going through right now, but he's on the mend. Uh, they're hoping that he's going to be back in, in the lineup, and in, uh, in hopefully less than a month. Um, so he's he's so talented, and, and that move by John Shaika to to get him. Uh, was a real, real good move for the future of this Coyotes team just because it's all about your blue line, your goaltender and your blue line, and, and Jacob Chicken is going to be one of the best. Right. When you look at this uh, Phoenix team, as we said, uh, uh, struggling a little bit right now. Uh, you said you, goaltending has not been uh, up, up to par. Uh, uh, I, I am kind of curious. As I said, you're, you're in the midst of playing – uh, five games in seven days. It's a road trip. Uh, certainly, being in Phoenix, you do a lot of travel. Although, uh, you know, geographically, everything is sort of coming together. There's more teams out, uh, out west now. But uh, uh, is it sometimes a grind, especially when you do have a young club like this when you're on the road, or is it a good bonding experience? Uh, it's a great bonding experience, especially when you're struggling. You you need to to get on the road. You need to you know generate some camaraderie and have some laughs, and uh, and that's what it's all about. And I think that uh, this team will will get out of it. Um, you know, as I mentioned, goaltending was uh, was the sole issue of why this team has struggled. And they're they're young. I mean, I think they have the youngest forwards in the entire National Hockey League. So. Um, you know, and unfortunately, the NHL is its not a developmental league. It's, it's tough to develop. It's right, tough right. to grow when, when you're a young player. And um, You know, the, the, the scary thing, I guess, for me is I, I sure hope this team can see some results of, of all their hard work. And um, You know, because you, you don't want to see them, you know, lose their confidence as young players. That's, that's my, my biggest issue is, is you don't want to teach young kids uh, how to lose. You, you've got to teach these kids how to win. You look at what Edmonton has gone through for, for forever until last season. I mean, all those draft picks, all those first overall picks. But when you lose year after year, it's tough to, to learn how to win again. And that's what Rick Tockett is trying to instill in these kids, that winning is hard, and this is how you have to play to win. And That's what Rick Tockett brings, uh, and he's been uh, a real breath of fresh air. The, you know, how he looks at the game, how he looks at at the team, he looks at it through championship goggles because he's been a part of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, for so long. Right, right. Yeah, Rick Tockett, a great player in his own right and uh, well on his way hopefully to being a, a very, very good coach uh, in, in the National Hockey League. There are a couple of questions, Tyson, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, you're giving up you know, your day off today to do this with us and uh, taking some time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I, I have to ask you about the Vegas Golden Knights. The Red Wings miraculously somehow beat them by scoring a, a bunch of goals in the third period. I think they're the only team at this point that has beaten the Golden Knights. The whole situation with that massacre in Las Vegas that they experienced, uh, do you believe that that team came together because the whole city, everybody kind of rallied around each other because there seems to be something, and I hate this expression, but for lack of a better term, something special is going on with that club that I don't think anybody saw. Well, they're, they're playing... 
for a city and they're playing for the people of Las Vegas and they're playing for everyone who had suffered a loss um, of, a, of a loved one uh, or you know a family member in that in that you know that whole deal so this is uh, also a team and uh, you know some people don't agree with me but this is a bunch of castaways and for the most part and a, and a bunch of misfits that uh, have really been galvanized be- because of it. I mean, they weren't wanted for whatever reason. They weren't kept or they weren't wanted from their current clubs. And I think a lot of those guys are uh, have contracts that are coming up. There's no draft picks on that team right now, so there's no entitlement. So everything is earned uh, in you know in Las Vegas right now with the, with the Knights. So I think that's that's a real positive, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing these guys that believe in themselves all of a sudden. They had early success. And they're riding uh, a wave of momentum right now, and, and and a group that is so tight and so together, and that's that's what a good team is all about, and that's how they're winning hockey games right now. There's no real superstars on that team, so they all count on on each other. They all feel like they they play a huge role in any type of success that that team's going to have, and and that's a fun team to play on, and and that's the talk right now in in, in Vegas. Uh, what was it like to have Wayne Gretzky as your coach? You know, the old adage is is that you know great players usually don't make great coaches. Uh, uh, what was it like to have uh, the great one, number ninety nine, behind the bench? Oh, uh, again, he was a lot like Steve Eiserman. He was my, one of my favorite players growing up. And uh, I had Wayne Gretzky wallpaper, Wayne Gretzky bed sheets, and now all of a sudden I get a call <laughs> from Wayne Gretzky, and he tells me that uh, we've just traded for you. So it, it was it was crazy. It was like an out of body experience. I had to pinch myself most nights, uh, you know, sitting uh, in front of him on, on the bench. Um, and he's talking to us in between periods. I mean, you're learning from the, the greatest player, in my mind, to, to ever play the game. So it was uh, it was a, a real neat experience. And the biggest thing that, that, you know, that I figured out with the whole deal is so many times you meet guys that you looked up to or idolized, and sometimes you're disappointed. Well, I was the furthest thing from disappointed. Um <laughs> You know, he is everything and more in the type of person that he was. He was so generous. Uh, he was the ultimate team guy. I mean, when I started broadcasting, he was still the coach there. It was mandatory. You had to go down and, you know, hang out in the, in the hotel bar and, and just hang out and just talk. And, and that's how you bring a group together. And uh, he's so old school. And there's, there's no secret why that up to Northern's team, uh, you know, won so many championships. Have you had any interaction with Steve Eiserman over the years? No, I, I haven't. I, uh, funny Steve Eiserman story I'll never forget. And, uh, you know, again, I told you I, I idolized him growing up. and uh, We ended up getting into a, a scuffle behind the, the net there at, the, at the Joe, and I'll never forget it. I think he actually ended up dropping his gloves. I don't know if maybe that was the only time he's ever dropped his gloves with me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, in the paper that night after the game, I said it felt like I was – I was getting hit with, uh, I was in a pillow fight with Steve Eiserman, and they put that in the paper, and we played uh, the Wings the next night in St. Louis. Well, lo and behold, that's what they call bulletin board material, and Steve Eiserman goes out, and he scores three goals, and Joel Quinville came to me, he goes, are you kidding me? Could you fire up, could you piss off any worse player in the entire league than Steve Eiserman to, to, to really stick it to us? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. But that wasn't the, the funniest part. The funniest part was that he got asked in the paper what happened and this and that. And he goes, yeah, that Tyler Ganoush, he, uh, he really had me fired up. 
So he didn't even want to give me the credit of knowing my name. And I knew he knew my name, but it was the funniest part. So now all my friends to this day, they, they call me uh, Tyler Ganoush. So, pretty funny. <laughs> that is definitely a, 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 a great story and sounds like Stevie, actually. Um, um, wrapping it up, uh, Tuesday night, hopefully the uh, Coyotes get a victory tomorrow night in Philadelphia. A rejuvenated club uh, in the Flyers this year, you know, lucked out with the, uh, uh, <laughs> in the draft lottery uh, last season. But uh, uh, what kind of game can uh, Red Wing fans expect uh, Tuesday night between the Wings and the Coyotes? Well, it's uh, hopefully going to be a payback game. Uh, I know the Wings uh, beat the Coyotes earlier this season. I think a game that the Coyotes believe they they should have they should have won again, if not for uh, for some 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 goaltending issues. So it's going to be a good battle. I know everyone's really anxious to see this new facility and the new new building. Uh, it's always fun to come to Detroit. It's uh, more importantly, it's it's always fun to to beat the Wings as well. Tyson Nash. Thank you very much for being part of the Red and White Authority today. Appreciate you taking up so much time with us uh, to uh, recall uh, your pesty career, shall I say. And uh, you're doing a great job as a broadcaster with the, uh, uh, with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, continued success. Thank you very much. And we've got to have you on again, Tyson. I really enjoyed it. It was such a pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Anytime.